Chapter 9, Hard, Hungry Work Instead of getting easier as the days went on, work for the people of Ember got harder. It wasn't just the work, it was the heat they had to work in. Every day was hotter than the last. Dune had never felt this warm in his life. It was like being cooked. All the people of Ember felt this way. They sweated, their skin turned red and stung, and peeled off, and the brightness of the sky hurt their eyes. They got terrible headaches. Sometimes one of them would drop to the ground in a faint just from being too hot. At times like these, people thought this is a dreadful place we have come to. They put their hands over their eyes, missing the familiar darkness. The team leaders tried to be understanding when their workers drooped and fainted, but the people of Sparks were used to the heat. Besides them, the people of Ember seemed like weaklings. A few times, Dune saw the leader of his team press his lips together and drum his fingers against his legs when one of the Emberites had to sit down and rest. Dune's team leader was Chugger Frisk, a big stubble jaw man who didn't talk much about except for giving directions. Every day, he sent his team wherever the wherever it was most needed. Dune did all kinds of jobs over the next few weeks. He dug ditches for the pipes that conducted water from the river to the crops to the field. He repaired the wagons that hauled the produce home from the fields. He milked the goats out in the goat pasture and made sure the water troughs for the oxen were full. He picked fruit, built fences, planted seeds, stirred vats of soap, and dug chicken droppings into the cabbage field. Except for being so hot, he didn't mind the work. He was getting strong, and he liked being strong. He liked feeling the muscles in his arms getting harder, and he liked being taller. He knew he was taller because his old pants were too short. The feeling of being a new person in this new world stayed with him. He would be 13 soon, not a child anymore. Work was making him stir- sturdy and ready for anything. Besides, as he worked, he was finding out all kinds of things he wanted to learn. How did the pumps work that brought the water up from the river to the fields? How was cheese made and shoes and candles? Where did they get the ice that kept things cold in the big ice house? What were the bushy-tailed animals that scurried up the trees and the long rope-like animals that he sometimes almost stepped on in the grass? He wanted to know how houses were built and what glass was made of and how bicycles worked. It was exciting having so much to learn, but every time he remembered that he and his people had less than six months to learn it, less than six months to master all the skills they needed to build a town of their own, a worm of fear twisted in his stomach. Chugger wouldn't answer questions. He was too busy giving directions or working. So Dune often asked his questions at lunch. Sometimes Ordne would answer the questions, and sometimes Martha did. Ordne's answers were more like lectures, and Martha's were more like boast. After a while, it was clear that both of them were getting tired of questions, so Dune asked fewer of them. One day, Kenny followed him outside after lunch and stretched up to whisper in his ear. I can show you where these an- where there are answers to your questions, he said. Want me to? Sure, said Dune. Right now, said Kenny. Okay, said Dune. So Kenny led him through the streets of the village, going first towards the river and then away from it, along a street that led out from the houses and into the groves of oak trees. There, said Kenny, pointing ahead. At first, Dune saw only the long line of a roof above the trees. Then the street opened into a big empty space that he could see and had once been covered with pavement. Now the pavement was cracked and weeds grew up through it. To the left of the span of pavement stood a huge building. 
a rectangular structure so tremendous it could have held both the Ember School and Gathering Hall. At the end, facing them, were two massive wooden doors, which Kenny walked towards. In the ancient days, said Kenny, you didn't have to open these. They were made of glass, and they had eyes, and they opened as soon as they saw you. That can't be, said Dune. It was, though, Kenny said. Above the doors was a sign missing most of its letters. It was a long sign, so you could tell whatever it used to be was a long word. But now all it said was U-P-E-A-R-K. What does that mean? Dune asked, pointing to the sign. I don't know, Kenny said. We just call it the Ark. It's our storehouse. We're going around to the back. He led the way around to the side of the building to a small door in the back wall, which he opened. He had to push hard because something was behind the door that had to be shoved out of the way. Dune peered into the darkness. At first, he couldn't make out what he was seeing. Lumpy mountains appeared to fill the room to the ceiling and spread from wall to wall. He took a step forward, but his foot jammed against something hard on the floor. There's answers to everything in here, he said to Kenny, or said Kenny. As his eyes adjusted to the dimness, Dune saw that the room was full of, was it boxes? No, they almost looked like books. They lay in toppling stacks, giant heaps, sliding mounds, as if they'd been dumped in from an enormous bucket. Some of them laid open with their pages crumpled. Some were so warped that their covers curved. A smell of ancient dust and mold arose from them. He reached down and picked one up. It was covered with dust. He opened it and saw pages of tiny, neat print. It was a book, yes. Not like the books of Ember. Those books, those, these books were much bigger and sturdier, and they had much more writing. He rifled through the pages. More dust flew up, but he couldn't tell what this book was about. One page said, Chapter 25, The Thermodynamics of Aluminum. He had no idea what that meant. This is amazing, said Dune. Can I take it back to the hotel? I guess so, said Kenny. No one will notice. Dune sat down the book about thermodynamics. He brushed his smudged fingers across his pants. He felt like a hungry person who had been led to an immense banquet. Far more food than he could eat in a whole life. He was starving all of a sudden for the knowledge hidden in these books. He reached out and chose three of them blindly, not even looking at the titles. Don't you want some, he said to Kenny. No, said Kenny. I already read four books in school. That was enough. We learned about history, pre and post. Pre and post? Yeah, pre-disaster and post-disaster. Oh, said Dune. What do you like to do then, he asked. Just poke around, said Kenny. I poke around in the woods. You could come with me sometime, he said, looking up at Dune with hopeful eyes, if you want. Maybe I will, Dune said, though. He was thinking he probably wouldn't. He had so many other things in mind to do. Besides, Kenny was a little young to be his friend. During the first week after the Emberites arrived, Martha Parton had showed off her cooking skills at lunch every day. She had mashed potato pie, fresh peas with chives, walnut croquettes, mushroom gravy, cheese popovers, red onion and beans, dumplings, scrambled eggs with tomato jam, apricot pudding, and apple butter cookies. Every time she brought in a new dish, she'd said, I don't know and imagine that you've had these where you came from, or this will be new to you. And the Ember guest would say, you're right. We've never had this. We've never tasted anything so delicious. It's wonderful. And Martha's mouth would crimp into a small, pleased smile. 
As the time went on, however, the food at lunchtime became plainer. Martha got tired of making something new every day to impress her guest. What they found in their dinner and breakfast parcels became less interesting, too. Usually it was some chunks of cornbread, 10 or 12 carrot sticks, and a few slimy bits of goat cheese. If they were lucky, there might be a hard-boiled egg. Martha took to mentioning, as if it were a little joke, that even though the Partons were given extra food from the storehouse because of the extra people, it seems as if they had less. Wasn't that odd? Dune started to feel hungry a fair amount of the time, and he knew the others did, too. His father never spoke of it, but Edward Pope, Edward Pocket griped about the food every evening. I know I'm old and small, he said, polishing off the last crumbs of both his dinner and breakfast, but that doesn't mean I can live on air. One day, Ordinay made a disturbing announcement. The cabbage crop, he said, was going to be smaller than expected. Worms had gotten into it. They have only about two-thirds of the cabbage they had last year. After this, not only was the food at lunchtime plainer, but there was less of it. One week, they had string beans. Last week's pickled cabbage and goat's milk pudding for lunch four days in a row. And when they opened their baskets at dinner time, they found only a bottle of cold potato soup to serve at both dinner and breakfast. Clary had started a garden just a few days after the Emberites arrived at the Pioneer Hotel. She cleared a patch of ground about 40 feet square, not far from the riverbank, and planted seeds that she had brought from Ember. Children who were too little to go to work in the village helped pull weeds and fetch buckets of water from the river. Old people sat in the shade giving her advice. After a while, green shoots appeared in rows on the patch of dirt, and Clary was out there every morning and every evening tending to them. In several weeks, there would be a little extra food for the people of Ember out of their own front yard. But it wouldn't be nearly enough. Some people were already grumbling about their skimpy dinner parcels. One night, when Dune was in two, room 215 eating with his father and the others, his he heard voices in the hall and went out to see a cluster of people a few doors down. Lizzie was there. Dune spotted that red cloud of her hair. Tick was there, too. His voice carried above the rest. Well, I got three carrots and a plum and a chunk of sour cheese, he said. Lucky me. That ought to keep me going for a while. A few people laughed dryly at this, and Dune heard Lizzie giggle. I'll keep It'll keep you from maybe half an hour, someone said. I don't know how they think we can work with nothing but scraps to eat. Along the hall, other doors opened and other voices joined in. All I got was some limp green beans and a few clumps of porridge. I had carrot soup three days in a row. Some people canceled patience. We shouldn't complain, someone said. It's hard for them to give us food. We should be grateful for... I'm tired of being grateful, someone else broke in. They promised to feed us, but they're starving us instead. It seems to me, said Tick, that we should do something about this. I think maybe I'll mention the problem at lunch tomorrow. Maybe we all should. Maybe we should tell them it's very hard to work when you're hungry. I'll tell them, cried Lizzie, high, and cried Lizzie's high voice, and other voices arose in agreement, and an excited, angry babble filled the hallway, drowning out those who spoke for patience. I'll speak up. We have to protest. Tick was so right. Tick for mayor, someone shouted, laughing. For a second, Tick looked surprised. Then his eyes glowed with pleasure. He raised a fist in the air. We'll stand up for ourselves, he said, and the people around him roared and raised their fists, too. Dune turned to his father and Edward and Sadge, who all had come to the door to see what was going on. We should tell the Partons, he said. If we're working, we need to ha need enough to eat. It's only fair. 
Of course, they don't have to give us anything, said June's father. They're giving what they think they can spare. He looked sadly at the dry chunk of cornbread in his hand. But I suppose it can't hurt to mention it, he said, without being rude, of course. I imagine they're doing the best they can. Mrs. Polster agreed to be the one to bring it up at lunch the next day. They were having cold spinach soup. I have a request, she said firmly. She set down her soup spoon. Everyone looked towards her. Dune felt a jitter in his stomach. We have noticed, said Mrs. Polster, that the food parcels you're so generously giving us have been becoming considerably smaller lately. We find that when we have eaten what is within, we're still, to be frank, hungry. This is difficult for us. There was silence. Everyone stared at Mrs. Polster, who sat very calmly with her hands in her lap, waiting for an answer. What? said Martha Parton at last. Did I hear right? I believe so, said Mrs. Polster, unless you have ear trouble. I said we're not getting quite enough to eat. Martha laughed, a one-note laugh, a laugh of disbelief. Kenny stopped chewing and looked frightened. Ordinay drew himself up and cleared his throat. I am surprised, he said. I had thought you people understood the situation. We do indeed, said Dune's father hastily. We're very grateful for what you've done for us. It's just that we're working quite hard, said Clary. It's a very small amount, said Mrs. Thorne timidly. For both dinner and breakfast, added Edward Pocket. Last night, said Dune, I had a hard-boiled egg and three carrots for dinner and nothing for breakfast this morning. There was silence again. A terrible, vibrating silence. Then Ordinay leaned forward, gripping the edge of the table with his fingertips. Now listen here, he said. We're doing the best we can with what we have been asked of us. And I must say, a great deal has been asked. Suddenly, we're supposed to feed twice as many people as we have before? More than twice as many? He glared at the Emberites, shifting his eyes to each one in turn. And yet we do not have twice as much food as we did before. It's true that each family is being given a little extra from the storehouse for the emergency, but not much. Sparks Village just doesn't have enough for 400 extra people. Are we supposed to feed you instead of our own families? Why should we? Who are you anyway? You're strangers from some city no one's ever heard of. By the end of the speech, Ordnay's face was a deep red and his voice was shaking with rage. Dune felt frozen. All he could think was, he's right, of course he's right, but we're right too. Everyone else must have been thinking the same thing. They finished their soup in silence. At the end of the meal, Martha dumped the food parcels on the table instead of handing them out. They each took one, but Dune's father was the only person who said thank you. Later, when Dune opened his parcel, he found a wedge of cabbage leaves turning yellow at the edge and a hunk of some sort of bean cake. His stomach clenched. They're tired of helping us, he thought. What are we going to do?